everyone. Welcome back to Chaos on the Set. Your usual hosts are here today. I'm Kate. I'm Mike. I'm Shruti. For this episode, in honor of its 25th anniversary, we are covering James Cameron's massive blockbuster hit, Titanic, starring Leo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. Uh, Obviously, this film is so, so, so famous that it doesn't need much of an introduction, (laughs) but I'm going to try to give one anyway. At the time, it was the most expensive movie ever made with a $200 million budget. It was released in 1997 to critical acclaim and was the first film to ever cross the $1 billion mark in box office history. It remained the highest grossing movie ever until James Cameron beat his own record with <laughs> Avatar in 2010. Uh, kind of boo to that. I don't love Avatar that much. It's not a secret. Um, it was then nominated for 14 Academy Awards and it won 11 of them including Best Picture, Best Director for Cameron, and Best Actress for Winslet. It's also preserved in the National Film Registry for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. And it's the 25th anniversary of the, the movie coming out, and um, they've re-released it in theaters. And Mike and Shruti actually went and saw it in theaters. I did not... Because it's only... Kate was afraid of the 3D. <laughs> Kate was showing... worried that she herself would hit the iceberg if she went. <laughs> it's only showing in 3D, which I think is stupid. <laughs> well, it's funny because Kate called me the other day and I was like, I'm sorry, I can't pick up. I'm in a meeting. And she was, just sent me a text rant about how it's only in 3D and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that sucks. My showing isn't 3D. And then I went to the showing yesterday and they hand me a pair of 3D glasses. And I was yeah, like, nowhere but nowhere on the ticket or in the listing does it say that oh, it is really? 3D. I was mine, just, said, mine said 3D. Yeah, and so it's weird know. because like for Avatar, it said Avatar 3D, and then there was like maybe yeah. one Avatar 2D screening. Uh, but it, I was like, you should specify if it's 3D. If you're going into a three-hour movie and expect to wear glasses for three hours, I would like yeah. to mentally prepare for that. I just don't yeah. think this movie really benefits Warranted from it, 3D no. or needs it. I understand James Cameron wanting Avatar to be in 3D. Okay, whatever. But like Titanic... Does it really yeah. need it? I mean, I, what I you want that? <laughs> yeah, but I could be wrong. But I think also it was a 4K restoration of it Titanic was. as well, right? So I I thought the film looked beautiful. It really did, but I did not understand, like you said, the need for the 3D aesthetic. At times, it almost felt more goofy. Yeah, I just because uh, you, it, it didn't seem like it to me at least. It didn't even the 3D didn't seem to have a huge presence like it wasn't popping mm-hmm. off the screen maybe like other 3d films would just because like i mean there's not a ton of action sure it's like towards the end when the boat's, boat's falling apart but it's like okay water's gushing like it wasn't you know and and with 3d you just see a little bit of like background distortion like when the characters are in frame but it's it's nothing right. special for a film like this in my opinion i mean i watched it in not 3d so I, I had a very sad saga of thought it was on Paramount Plus for some reason. So my roommate was like, yeah, I used my Paramount Plus account. Logged in to find out, oh, it's not actually on Paramount Plus. Turns out you cannot stream Titanic anywhere for free or with a membership. You have to rent it or buy it. So I did rent it on Amazon, which kind of sucked. But I was watching it and trying to think okay, which of these scenes would look good in 3D? And I was like, I don't know, like the boat sticking out of the water? <laughs> what else? Yeah, it's Like, necessary. what else? And there's like a, there's a scene where Jack is talking and he's centered in the shot and he's a little bit, because of the 3D, like extra foregrounded <laughs> and it looks really weird. Like, I would appreciate, I would have rather just watch it without 3D, but whatever, it's fine. Yeah, I'm not a fan. You know, though, when I, I've only seen this movie two times in my entire life. And the first time I saw it was when it was re-released in the theaters for the 100th anniversary of the Titanic sinking. And I was doing some research. Yeah, in 2012. And I was doing some research because I was like, I saw that just nor- in like normal HD, right? No, apparently I did see that in 3D when I was like 16. Apparently mm. it was a 3D exclusive re-release, just like this one. And I'm like... Why? Why? Do you know the one this? edit James Cameron made for the 2012 re-release that was not in the original 1997 film? What's that? It was because Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, came out saying that's actually not how the stars would look the night that the Titanic sank when Rose was looking at oh the stars. My God. That James Cameron literally edited it for the 2012 re-release. Edited the stars. <laughs> that's wow. like so petty. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson is like 
and I like Neil deGrasse Tyson, but he's like really annoying, honestly, when it comes <laughs> to that stuff. Like his whole, well, especially with Top Gun Maverick, he was like, he's like, oh, if Tom Cruise ejected at at Mach nine, his body would explode. Like, okay, thank well, you. Well, hey, that supports our that supports our theory. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Stupid. With Top Gun Maverick, I understand just like being nitpicky. With this movie, that is actually so rooted in history, and James Cameron went to all these yeah. efforts to make things as as accurate as possible to the point of like the meal right. that they served the night that Titanic sunk. To then be like, well, the stars are wrong. Just like shut the fuck up. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this was actually the the first time that I have officially seen Titanic. Like, start to back? Start to back, okay. yeah. So I've seen, like, bits and pieces of Titanic. One particular memory, like, that I have from way back is I used to, um, my aunt used to babysit me, so I would, like, be at my cousin's house all the time, and, and mm-hmm. my cousins were a little bit older, and I feel like they were watching it once. So I have, like, a vivid memory of it, like, being on the TV, and there was definitely, like, a lot of scenes throughout the movie that I instantly recognized um like i had seen them before but start to finish i definitely had never seen the entire thing it's long so i don't blame it's, you. it's long but it, it's long but it honestly to me it did not feel long it did not feel yeah like a three i hundred it didn't feel like a three hour film but it's also funny to think like you know way back in the day people had this on vhs and they had to have two tapes and like switch it. Two tapes, halfway, I halfway love. Through. Which is that's I what I love the two tapes. That's memories. what the Lord of the Rings <laughs> DVD is like, and you have to switch the DVD halfway through. Um, well, especially just because people have so many vivid memories of going to the theater eighty thousand times yeah. to see this, and then watching it over and over again on VHS. Like people who really ha- like, I was born the year Titanic came out, so I don't You're have so these memories. Young. But I, my heart flutters at the you know aspect of people being like, now it's time to change the VHS tape. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's but I, cute. I gotta say, I was like, I was worried that it wasn't going to hold up for a couple of different reasons. Mm-hmm. First, because like, you know, it's so iconic being the high like for its time the highest grossing film um and and sort of my thoughts were like avatar like avatar being the highest grossing film and then i watched it and avatar is great but it's not like avatar is like the best thing ever and so but between like titanic being the highest grossing film at its time winning 11 oscars i was like wow this like this is a lot of praise like i wonder if titanic can really live up to it and then also i was worried that like the jack rose love story was going to be kind of like corny i feel like it's memed a little bit nowadays and obviously people just like make a huge deal about the door like that's all anybody cares about is the (laughs) fucking door um and so i i was worried like i was i wasn't gonna like it but um i really enjoyed it i think it's a great spectacle of a film and i actually like was emotionally attached like i shed a tear towards the end wow michael riccardi shed a tear yeah i was not expecting it but it, it definitely got me you haven't done that since since uh, Moonstruck. Yeah, I shed tears for the wrong reasons <laughs> watching that. Kate and I were talking before you joined, Mike, that like Rose and Jack's love story, like it could feel so generic, but it is still so compelling. And, you know, I think people always joke, like if Jack survived, how long would Rose and Jack actually have stayed together? Would they end up together? Would they have eventually gotten divorced? But I listened to this podcast with Emily Yoshida where she made the point of the importance of young love and first loves and how they make a mark on your life and awaken something in you. And, you know, while it is a tragedy that Jack died, at the end of the movie, you see all of the photos of Rose's life because they make the point, again, that Rose always travels with her photos and all the things that she did, like riding a horse, not side saddle, something that she discussed with Jack. Like, she didn't sob about losing her love of her life. She lived in memory of him. So while it you know, can feel like a generic love story. It is really, really compelling. And I just love that Rose lived a full life at the end of the day and you really see her story. By that. But I will say, oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, like, I think the, the thing that captivates me about their particular love story and relationship being like, like that sort, they're so infatuated and enamored with each other, like right off the start. And it's like very quickly they're saying, like these deeply romantic things and it's like very easy to 
sort of like imagine yourself and, and like fantasize in that situation like if you met somebody in those circumstances you know and it's it, it, they're they're lo- even like the cheesy lines like their love to me f- on screen feels very palpable well and i think that's that's mostly due to leonardo dicaprio and kate winslet i think in writing Yo, totally. i think in writing i don't think that that love story is super compelling i think the emotion that those two actors put behind it is the reason why, to me, it didn't come out as, like, kind of cheesy, kind of corny, kind of cliched. Uh, especially, like, I remember vividly being so shaken by... So when I saw this movie, I was 16, so, you know, I was in that prime age of, like, I love love, and I still do. You guys know I ship everything that moves. <laughs> but I remember seeing that movie, and when she jumps out of the lifeboat, and then they're running to each other, and when they like you know kind of basically like embrace and he's kissing her and being like why do you do that you're so stupid you're so stupid like, you know i yeah. was yeah. like a good oh moment. my god like that's love and then i remember being like 16 going <laughs> i am so lonely but then um <laughs> i still thought that but no um but <laughs> I mean, Rose's character is 17, so uh, you should I forgot that she's that young. You are 17 right now and not basically chaining yourself to a door <laughs> for love. You're but, also um, lonely. I'm kidding. I do have to say, though, kind of like going off of the relationship aspect of the movie, when I was 16, that's what I remembered most about the film. I was like, this romance is just so passionate, so tragic, so amazing. And then I rewatched it this weekend, and I was like, more hyper fixated on wow this production value this budget they recreated like the entire ship the this these scenes of like the boat sinking it looks so real like i was more captivated on the filmmaking aspect of how grand it is Mm -hmm. and then also i think the historical context i think was more compelling for me like i found myself being more interested in like these other passengers who are actually based on real people and i think it just i was like wow this shows like teenage kate to mid-20s kate's like growth in a way i thought it was interesting for me to see this like 10 years apart and yeah and i think it's also easy to like take for granted almost watching it today yeah that the the production value for it being 1997 and really being shot in like 95 right um and you know through reading it's it's like this this film is sort of like it's in the same conversation as you know star wars as lord of the rings when it comes to setting new boundaries when it comes to visual effects and this sort of like grand scheme of of filmmaking both with um you know actual production is as well as um you know uh visual effect uh, Mm -hmm. visual effects production um so it's it's remarkable in that sense as well but it's like i said it's so easy to take for granted because like everything nowadays i feel like they try to to be that big but it's uh so many it, it, so many films today feel like they don't necessarily take the care to yeah. really perfect things like they should and james cameron the i mean it's because i've seen this movie so many times on cable and so like all those iconic scenes i'm flying you know the, i was excited for that <laughs> but me like one of your french girls <laughs> but when you watch it start to finish in the theater you really notice how painstakingly james cameron makes sure he paints all of the little characters in the background so you like meet that third class Irish woman with her children in the beginning of the movie and like the friends that Jax makes and you track them along the whole journey throughout the movie just like being on the ship and then when the ship is sinking so you really know these characters when you're losing them and it's not even just the characters the way James Cameron fully integrates the locations of the ship so you know where the third class cabins are you know where the coal in the engine room is you know the stairs going into that dining room so when rose jumps off of the lifeboat during the rose you're so stupid why'd you do that you know exactly where they're going the fact that he really makes you understand the exact way the locations work on the ship is i think really really brilliant and like also you know beyond the vastness of yeah the movie like beyond just making it seem so awe-inspiring 
the movie was also way more harrowing than I remember. Like, I remember, you know, crying a lot at Rose Uh losing Jack. But this last, the third hour of the movie is so disturbing. Like, it really, I was impressed by, like, he shows you the tragedy of this disaster instead of just making a disaster movie. And it, it really sticks with you. Yeah, I, I, the thing that really I found most compelling, like you said, in that last hour is sort of when everybody goes into panic mode and you see, you know, how everybody sort of reacts in that situation and, and you know, humanity at, at, at its most dire circumstances and how people are doing anything that they can to survive and, and uh, particularly the the bad actors in in that scenario that are you know taking the place of women and children and, right. and fighting to get onto those lifeboats and also the decisions of like you know they're not filling them up and they're they're sending them to all of these different things locking the lower class down in the hull of the ship um it's just like every, every little character was like so compelling even like you know the the band playing until oh, yeah. the final and um the they it's been a privilege playing yeah. with uh, you boys uh tears the captain <laughs> king theoden before he was king theoden oh my god yeah. i did not realize he was theoden, theoden king yeah that's him <laughs> but yeah on the topic of all of these individual backstories that you know james cameron made sure to pinpoint throughout the story i think it's really interesting that before they even started making the movie, he spent basically six months researching about all of the Titanic's crew and passengers and basically assigned all of the extras individual backstories. So while he was filming them moving throughout the ship, they knew what like what their background was, what their family situation was, who they were fighting to stay alive for, you know, all of those things. So I think just like the way he, again, painstakingly went through to make sure all of this be, you know, a fully realized story is very impressive. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that he, like, painstakingly researched all the passengers because did you know, fun fact, I know we're not on mm-hmm. a, our Horny for History segment quite yet, but can't help myself. <laughs> um, after the film was released, James Cameron realized that there actually was a passenger uh, on the boat named Jay Dawson, but is actually John Dawson. Oh, yes. There's a... There's yeah, a bunch of because, flowers by his well, grave now that because people, people think he was a real in person. Mass, like, flocking to Nova Scotia to this guy's grave, thinking it was Jack Dawson, getting to his gravestone and seeing Jonathan Dawson, then doing research and finding out, wait, it's not really Jack Dawson. And they were all really pissed off. And James Cameron was like, this was a coincidence. <laughs> James Cameron should have probably done more research and not named one of the characters Dawson. But. <laughs> Uh, he was apparently very intense about the movie. People, uh, the movie gave him the cred that he was the scariest man in Hollywood. Um, and then there was actually the local Screen Actors Guild representative had to come, like, to set because there were so many allegations of mistreatment on really? the set. I mean, Kate Winslet was terrified while filming. She, like, apparently broke a part of, like, chipped her elbow or something and was scared <gasps> she was going to drown. She said she was so scared during this movie and like not had a good time working with Cameron that she wouldn't work with Cameron again and to us quote it was for a lot of money which I guess she didn't get a lot of money (laughs) oh my god and we know what's hilarious is that in Avatar 2 she had a bunch of diving scenes uh Kate there's no movie out that's called Avatar 2 yes there is Avatar the way of water (laughs) yeah she held her she held her breath for like seven minutes or some shit during that training that's really funny that she's like I got traumatized by James Cameron in water 25 years later I will again get traumatized by James Cameron in more water although I will say during um (laughs) during the Oscars I was watching um you know his acceptance speech for director and as he's making his way up to the stage i'm pretty sure it was her it was you know old yeah he he gives she gives him a big hug um i mean obviously their relationship is fine i think also like at when she was filming titanic i think really all she had done before that was sense and sensibility like her and leo were so much younger i think now coming back and doing way of water she's much older she's like gotten such a vast resume that i think she would also feel more comfortable sticking up for herself on the way of water set you know what i mean whereas like for Titanic, she was mm-hmm. probably being bullied yeah. a lot more. I mean, it was definitely a harrowing production considering how much money they were burning. The $200 million dollar amount that Kate mentioned earlier, BuzzFeed News did the math, which it's not too hard to do the math, but basically it's a million dollars per minute of screen time. 
So that's a little bit ridiculous. Wow. That's crazy. My favorite production fact, and granted, I got this off of a Twitter thread, so if it's wrong, then don't blame me. Um, But apparently James Cameron told uh, the studio that it would be cheaper to send him to the bottom of the ocean to film the actual wreckage than it would be for him to build the models and shoot all of that. Now, I don't know if that's actually true or if, like, that was... I saw some quote that he said it'll be, like, X amount of dollars to send me down there. Yeah. Or if we try to recreate it, it'll be X amount of dollars plus something else because of yeah. the I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure, like, if it was like actually true that it would cost more if, or if, like, that was his maybe, like, bullshit reasoning for getting them to allow him to go to the bottom of the ocean. I mean, people joke that James Cameron only made this movie because he wanted a studio to fund him to go see Titanic. Oh, because he's famous for being obsessed with shipwrecks. I've also heard the fact, and I have not corroborated this myself, that James Cameron has spent more time with this Titanic ship than the actual passengers of the Titanic, which um, isn't hard to believe. What is that? That's like four days? Yeah. Yeah, um, they were... What day? It, It... they set sail on April tenth, and they yeah, it was four days. Wow, so he's been he's been underwater around that wreck for more than four days. I wouldn't say four days straight because yeah, obviously yeah. you would have to and he'd like be the dead. amount of pressure <laughs> down there literally like one crack and everyone dies. So I think they have to do That's it great. in pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I think the most famous production story about Titanic is the fact that everyone got drugged with PCP. Have y'all heard this story? No. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Wait, have can you guys story. tell me? On the Inform last me. day of filming, it was on the Halifax set. So um, Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio were on that set, but it's where they filmed Bill Paxton scenes, like mm-hmm. the um, research filming scenes. Somebody basically spiked the chowder with PCP. Um, The set decorator told this quote to Vulture because Bill Paxton basically got drugged. She said, Bill Paxton was a real sweetie. He was sitting next to me in the hallway of the hospital and he was kind of enjoying the buzz. Meanwhile, the grips were going down the hallway doing wheelies in wheelchairs. Uh, Meanwhile, apparently James Cameron was like, just threw up and was like, gotta shake it off, gotta gotta film. But people also make (laughs) jokes that this PCP experience for him is what gave him the idea for Avatar. (laughs) Wait, they don't know who drugged to the- this day. Uh, from a Variety article I read, they still do not know who spiked the chowder. Like, who the fuck does that? I'm like a multi, like million, million dollar set. production. Like, I'm just gonna be in a little goofy mood today and spike the chowder. Like, but also he was that? like so brutal to the crew that I can understand maybe if the crew member was like, "Fuck you, James Cameron." <laughs> Oh my gosh. Wow, that's really funny. Um, And then, of course, there was a lot of fights coming down to, you know, how long the movie was. Obviously, the studio wanted to be shorter because, and I think this is a very interesting that it's still one of the most um, box office successful movies of all time because the longer a movie is, the less amount of times you can show in a day. So that inherently just limits the right. amount of money it can make. So they really wanted to cut the movie down to be shorter. And then James Cameron said, quote, if you want to cut my film, you'll have to fire me. And if you want to fire me, you'll have to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) What? Which, like, obviously, like, at at that stage, I think they would have been in post-production at that point. Like, they would have to re, they would have to reinvest a lot of money into the movie in order if they really wanted to cut James Cameron from the movie. He did say that he let go of the $8 million salary he would have earned on the movie just to show his faith in it. And obviously because he was, you know, the movie was supposed to come out, I believe, in the summer and then it wasn't ready in time so they had to push it back. So the studios were naturally very nervous. They did the math and they realized in order for them to break even, it had to be the most successful movie of all time, which lucky for them it was, but obviously stressful to be put into that position. Um, So again, James Cameron only made basically royalties from writing and directing the movie for Titanic, which according to a Cinema Blend article, an actor who was like five years old when he filmed Titanic, still this article came out in 2020, he said that he receives a $200 to $300 check every year for residuals for Titanic, and this is just an actor, so like a a background still did fine. Like a background actor? Yeah. I mean, think about how many times it's always on cable and playing again, like the residuals for Titanic definitely pay out. Oh, yeah. All right, well, while we're on the topic of residuals, which obviously, you know, part of that is, you know, they're making so much money because Titanic is one of the highest grossing films of all time. I think now's a good time to really delve into the specifics of what 
made it a box office success. I know Kate sort of launched the episode talking about how, you know, at the time, it was the first film to make a billion dollars. You know, it was the highest grossing film uh, at that time until it was beat by Avatar. But honestly, like, after I started reading more into it, I I think that, like, scratches the surface of how insane the box office truly is. Um, And part of that, I mean, at the time it was the highest grossing film, but the re-releases have also helped to add to it a lot. Like Kate said, there was a 2012 re-release, but then there was also 2017 as well, and now 2023. Wait, what was the 2017 re-release for? 20th anniversary. Wasn't it? It was 20th. Oh, okay. Um, when, the, in the, the, sorry, the 2012 one actually is what pushed it over 2 billion. Yes. Yeah. My friend it, joked that um, they should re-release the movie at the 84 year anniversary for the, it's been 84 years. Uh, oh, yeah. boo. Yeah, we won't be alive to see that. Wait, actually, maybe we will. But like the, <laughs> the, 20, the 2012 re-release <laughs> earned $343 million, which is like, you know, for a new release, that would be an insane, a, a huge amount of money. But for, like, a yeah. re-release of an old film, it's still... Is, Especially, is, again, considering how long it is, because like, yeah. that, that means those theaters have to be packed because they can't show it as many times. I mean, this is just... I mean, it just makes so much sense. Like, I just know... I know of other friends during, you know, this release that's out right now who were like, oh, I should really go see Titanic again. It's, like, in theaters again. Yeah. It's just, it's like, also, like just so fun. The, I had a... Such a good is time. Fun watching the right, is fun on. the right word for watching 1,500 people die? <laughs> it gets herring, but in the beginning, it's like the, sh- yeah. the ship sails off. You're just like having a blast. You know what I mean? It, and it's full of so many iconic moments. You know, they're, they're at those parties. You know, they're, they're steaming up the yeah. car. That was a yeah, fun was scene. Which, by the way, I don't think <laughs> scientifically, not to Neil deGrasse Tyson this, that car should have been so steamed up because there's an open door so like oh they were they you know they were just huffing and puffing though you know this isn't the horny for history segment kate (laughs) that's later okay um well this is actually science not history not to um we're horny for science right now michael uh this one review on letterboxd demi digiwebe who i think is one of the funniest people to write uh talks about this is the end of his review for titanic Let's discuss the real problem here. That car shouldn't have been fogged up from fucking. It wasn't an enclosed area. It was three walls and a fourth open side. Plenty of room to, for steam to escape. All those scientific all those scientific consultants on set, and you couldn't hire one guy who fucks, huh, James? No, <laughs> no one was fucking on that movie. They were too tired. Probably, too, honestly. Too many long hours. All right, I want to talk about the box office. Sorry, go ahead. Um, well, I was going to make the point that right now the timing is really interesting because it's like James Cameron has Titanic battling Avatar, Avatar the, way the Way of, of Water, water yeah. where, where so Avatar stupid. The Way of Water finally I think just recently surpassed Titanic for total gross but now it's likely that Titanic is going to pass it back with this That's re-release so- but it's to me it's just insane at the end of the day that James Cameron is going to have made the top three grossing films of all time. Yeah. Re-release Avengers Endgame. Oh, God. I know, seriously. But it's it's <laughs> so remarkable, too, because obviously, you know, Avatar is this, Avatar Way of Water is a sequel, so I understand that playing off of it. But, you know, Avatar and, and Titanic, too, are, like, so different. It's not like that they're in the same genre. So for him to have such a major success with two very distinctly different films, I, I think, is remarkable. Very distinctly different, but at the end of the day, you leave both theaters being like, damn, I want to see that yeah, movie again. Yeah. You know, they, they, he, yeah. has the, he has an ability to capture a wish fulfillment feeling inside of you that when you're watching it, you're like, I want to watch this yeah. again tomorrow, whether it is The Vastness of a Ship or Pandora. And so let's talk about that, right? The, the repeat viewings is really what I think spurned this great box office success and people you know credit uh word of mouth the repeat viewings um particularly young women and uh quote-unquote leo mania being a a big thing at the time um i saw and i don't know how true this statistic is but you know at the time they claimed that like seven percent of teenage girls had watched titanic twice or more within like the first five weeks 
of its release, which is is a huge portion. Like seven percent doesn't sound like a lot, but when it comes to a movie, like that's a huge portion yeah. of of the population. Um, and it really like the film grew over time and remained steady. You know, for a film that grossed over a billion dollars, it only opened twenty eight million its opening weekend, which. You know, it was number one at the box office its opening weekend, and it stayed number one for 15 weekends in a row, which is a record yeah. for, for any film. Um, but it was like that consistent growth, right? So it opens in in December. It earns $28 million at the opening weekend. It goes on to earn $35 million in its second weekend, so it's continuing to grow. And in 44 days, it became the fastest film to ever hit $300 million. Go Orange. Um, so really just remained steady and it stayed in theaters for 10 months, that, 10 wow. months is, 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 Tom is Cruise crazy. Could dream. I know, I know. But well, even I... like, even Top Gun Maverick felt like such an anomaly for what yeah. we're used to seeing nowadays. I feel like the last movie I've ever just heard of, but I've never really done research that lasted that long is like the first Star Wars film. And I only know that cause my mom told me she would go like, every mm-hmm. couple weeks for the mm-hmm. whole year that it was out um so yeah i'm sure it, many many people saw that movie three four or five times when it was out for 10 months i read that its biggest uh box office weekend was valentine's day because of the slow rollout like which normally you'd so, think you know opening weekend would be huge but funny enough that was actually what i was just going oh, to yeah. say was valentine's <laughs> day Guys. was the highest grossing <laughs> single day the film ever had That's... and that was eight weeks after the Eight weeks after its release. Okay, I'm sorry. This is where I judge people. This is where I judge couples <laughs> who went, oh, oh, happy Valentine's Day, sweetie. Come on, what do you it was the see? thing. Let's see, let's see this romantic movie about these two people, and then one of them gets to stay on a door, and one of them drowns in the <laughs> oh, water. Oh, come on. Let's Stop watch being that. A it's still a very romantic happy movie. Happy romantic day. Yeah. Yeah, but it's tragic. I will say my I have two friends who were supposed to go to the Titanic re-release with me, but they couldn't. And then they're dating, and um, their names are James and Lauren. And James asked Lauren if they could go <laughs> see the movie on Valentine's Day, and Lauren said absolutely not. So they're going Ooh. on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Lauren. Yes. Like, why? Why do you want to see a movie about one of the two people in a relationship dying? Kate, no, it's so you. fun though. <laughs> it's you keep saying this word fun you keep saying that it was fun for a 15 100 people to drown okay but like i'm just saying when i was in that theater like every okay. scene because there's so many iconic lines of dialogue that once they happen like the theater was happy yeah. about it. i feel like this movie i know would i'm just really joshing you rowdy crowd i know i know i'm just joshing you I, I do think the movie is very good i just um I don't have those rose-colored glasses that I had when I watched it when I was 16 and I was like, love is alive. I'm kind of now like, I like this movie. It's very good, but I, I'm i not like at the... Uh, let me just tell you, it's no Puss in Boots too. okay? Sure. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just okay. kidding. Which is also not the name of... It's, oh, it's shit. not even You're the right. second one. It's the third there's one. There's a second Puss in Boots? <laughs> No, no, there's Fake? not. No, there's one and two. Yeah. Okay, first of all, there's no Puss in Boots ones. There's Puss in Boots and there's Puss in Boots okay, last year. Sure this is Titanic too. We should also should not be talking about Puss in Boots. I'm sorry that I let us down this tangent. I can't help myself sometimes. One final point I want to make on the box office, again, is drawing parallels uh, to Avatar, right? And like this steady growth over time. I don't know if it's like some secret formula James Cameron has with his films, but... You know, to put things in comparison, like I said, with the opening weekend, only you know grossing twenty eight million compared to the over like one point four billion that the film earned upon its initial release, that accounts for like one point five percent of the total box office, right? And I feel like nowadays we're accustomed to seeing films mm-hmm. where their best weekend is that opening weekend, and then it's and then it's downhill from there. Uh, you take, you know, Avengers Endgame, also one of the highest grossing films of all time. Its opening weekend, which is the biggest opening weekend ever for a film, accounts for 13% of the total box office. So like 1.5 to 13 is a is a huge difference. Wow. But then yeah. also like I think of the, the parallels with Avatar The Way of Water, where like Avatar Way of Water opening box office, you know, that first weekend everything, every headline was like Avatar Way of Water – uh, 
doesn't earn as much as projected. Like this is not going to do well. This is going to be a flop. And then people, and, and you know, there's all those theories. People are like, who is actually seeing Avatar? Nobody I know went to see it. But then like week after week, every I went to go see, everyone went to go fucking see it because everyone heard that it was great. And, you know, it was like, now you see Avatar The Way of Water is doing extremely well. Yeah, and even I went to see to it out well. of morbid so curiosity. He just, he has this this knack. I don't know that, again, like, I think the word of mouth is not um, something to, to take lightly, even in this di- this age of social media. deleted scene at the end of this movie if you've seen the movie you know the iconic part where older rose drops the heart of the ocean into the atlantic to be reunited with jack um the scene was originally taken um where bill paxton's character actually knows that she has the heart of the ocean and sees her dropping it into the water let me play the clip of it that i have i'll drop it You had it the entire time? The hardest part about being so poor was being so rich. But every time I thought about selling it, I thought of Cal. And somehow, I made it without his help. Holy shit. Look, Rose, I don't know what to say to a woman who tries to jump off the Titanic when it's not sinking and then jumps back on when it is. Dealing with logic here, I know that, but please think about this for a second. Oh, I've thought about this for years. And I've come all the way here to put it back where it belongs. Wait. Just let me hold it in my hand. I'm so happy that they cut the scene out of the movie. I just feel like it's so much more beautiful letting Rose do it on her own terms instead of like having this weird contradiction where obviously like you want Bill Paxton to make money after all the money he's burned trying to find the heart of the ocean. Um, And it's a really weird cut. Like later she drops it into the ocean and she's like, you've been looking for treasure in all the wrong places. You need to learn that only life is priceless. And then he like gives out this euphoric laugh. Like he's found Nirvana. And then he asks Rose's granddaughter who like, you can kind of see something going on with them if she wants to go dancing. It's so stupid, honestly. So I needed. Exactly. Like you can, you can get the message that you need from it with just Rose, with just Jack's scene in that dinner saying, you know, you live life for what it's worth. And if if they repeated that at the end of the movie, I think it would have been a big eye roll. Yeah. I, I do think, like, what, what could have been compelling was if he witnessed her dropping it from, like, a distance. Like, he, he didn't have time to, like, have a conversation with her and try and convince her otherwise. But he just, like, witnessed her from afar sort of throwing mm-hmm. it into the ocean. And, like, him... I guess, like, understanding that and and sort of, like, I don't know, like, a subtle head nod or something. Just, like, something that he he accepts her doing that I think could have been interesting. But I I think it works, obviously, easily just as well the way that the the ending that they chose for her to just sort of do it um, in secret. And I love the little, like, when she drops, she's like, oh! (laughs) Like, just makes that little (laughs) She she goes, ah! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be funny? She's like, "Oh, I didn't mean to drop it. Shit. Oh crap." <laughs> Dives in after. I just it. wanted to hold it above the ocean. <laughs> I just wanted, I just wanted Jack to see it. Like, look, I still have it. <laughs> oh shit, I dropped it. Fuck, that was worth a lot of money. <laughs> um, there's another deleted scene. Fabrizio's character, Jack's buddy, who is along for the journey in a very heavily accented immigrant role. Yeah. Oh um, my is- god. I, that's I would say an abomination to Italians everywhere. I know they get a little bit too, uh, you know, intense with those things. But also, I feel like uh, they get got a little bit too intense at times with Billy Zane's villainy and even um, Rose's mom's when she's like, "Oh, are they gonna 
see the lifeboats by class i was like okay come on these white woman tears are getting a little bit ridiculous but <laughs> there's a deleted scene and i'm again so glad that they took this out of the movie where uh cal apparently knocks fabrizio out with an oar and he falls into the water or something what? Um, yeah i'm so glad they didn't do that i mean obviously fabrizio still does not make it but the way they now show fabrizio dying is with the big what are the pillars of the ship called propellers no is no that? it's oh it's like the sorry the this. steam stack yeah the big yeah. steam stack um falling on Fabrizio which is really like again harrowing and Oof. scary but it's done so well because James Cameron has now established this character so when they show you the uh like the big epic uh visual of it you're not just watching the visual you're watching it also as a character moment yeah yeah I forgot that Billy Zane starts like shooting at Rose and Jack near the end of like at New York. That was like, wild. Yeah, but I think it's again just another device to get Rose and Jack to run back into the water. Um, yeah. But his villainy does at times be like, okay, nobody. It's it's not even like nobody's this evil. It's like who has that much self? Like if a girl kept rejecting me to that extent, I would not keep going for her. That seems so embarrassing for him. <laughs> like obviously she's also, not into like you, the dude. Boat- it's also like the boat is sinking. Like, you should go save yourself. Do you really have time to be like, I gotta make sure these two don't make yeah. it? And then just start shooting them? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Well, guys, I'm feeling a little horny for history. Oh my God. If you have not listened to our National Treasure episode, you <laughs> definitely don't know the context of this, and you're probably very appalled. So go listen to that, and then come back here. Go ahead, Kate. Basically, I love history, and sometimes I get a little turned on by it. That's just where we're at. Okay, anyway. <laughs> um, I was tasked with doing a lot of the historical research for this episode, uh, which I was very happy to do, because... As I was saying earlier, I think more of my interest in this film on the second watch after 10 years has been more of the production value, but also like just the historical accuracies and inaccuracies that this film has. And I really went on like a super big deep dive after watching this movie of just all the passengers, all the information, what actually went down that night that it sank. So I to make this kind of engaging, I wanted to do a game we're gonna you guys can keep tally if you want to see how many you get right or wrong i'm definitely but I gonna win a, it's fine i want okay. to do a true a true false segment okay. where i'm gonna Did you state, study because i have done i haven't, I haven't studied, studied at all. but i have done <laughs> i've listened to a bunch of titanic podcasts that definitely touched on historical right. aspects okay. yeah so. i'll probably lose well we're gonna do true or false i just have a few statements um that pertain to the film and you guys are going to let me know if you think that it's true, it actually happened, or if that was false. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Number one. Uh, the crew on the Titanic favored saving first-class passengers over third-class passengers and locked third-class passengers down below deck. Is that true or false? I think that's true. I don't even think they true. told the third class that the ship was sinking. This was false. Oh. James Cameron took artistic liberties with this. There were no such gates that existed on the Titanic that could close and lock people down below deck. And there are firsthand accounts that say that when the ship started to sink and people really realized what was happening, there was no sense of, oh, you're first class? You get in. Oh, you're third class? Don't. It was just save as many people as humanly possible so in this panic, they were just putting any woman and children they could see. They were putting them in lifeboats. They I really know. liked. I really liked the first class guys that like once the women got on board, they like <laughs> went back into the dining room. He's like, "Get me a bourbon," and then he was just like ready to die. Oh. That guy, the big guy. That guy was my favorite. <laughs> Is that what you would do? <laughs> Maybe no. I would no. I would. Uh, I'd be freaking the fuck out. I would have, I think. <laughs> not to sound morbid, but I would have killed myself before my body hit that water. <laughs> oh, why? Yeah. Why freeze to death? Like, take an e- if you're going to die. Yeah, I like well, to think I like to think I'm a good person, but I I might get desperate and kind of force my my way onto one of those ships if we're being honest. 
Well, me and Shruti would have been taken care of because we're women. Yeah. Mike would have died. Well, I would have jumped anyway. on. I would have probably also already died. <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Are you ready for a second question? Yeah, let's go. Yeah. All right. True or false? First officer Will Murdoch shot some passengers before taking his own life while the ship was sinking. Oh, I talked to Kate about this already, so I'll abstain. (laughs) Shruti already knows, but what do you think, Well, you can go, but I'll go first so that I can't copy your answer. I'm going to say it's true. Okay, I read that was false, but I also, I read that there was an instance of, not this officer, but somebody did accidentally shoot somebody and then proceed to kill themselves, oh. shoot themselves. Because, okay, well then oh. that's like a half true. But Kate, okay, do you want to tell what really happened for this guy? So I didn't know about that, but I will let you guys know that the, you know, the person that they portray in this movie is First Officer Will Murdoch, and they do, like, refer to him as Will Murdoch, so... Um, and he, you know, he has that scene where he's shooting other passengers and he f- kind of freaks out at what he's done and he shoots himself. Um, that did not happen with Will Murdoch. I didn't know about maybe another person doing that, but Will Murdoch was cited by firsthand accounts as being quite the hero that night. And he helped many people to lifeboats for going down with the ship. And after the movie came out, his relatives that he still has around were very upset by his portrayal, obviously. And we're pretty vocal about it. And James Cameron actually went to them and apologized. He said, um, I was being a screenwriter. I wasn't thinking about being a historian. And I think and I think I wasn't as sensitive about the fact that his family, his survivors might feel offended by that. And they were. So he acknowledged it. He apologized. Um, it's definitely not a great portrayal, especially for somebody that was a hero at the time. Yeah, because people said he helped launch like 10 lifeboats that night and he went down off the ship so it's not like he you know was i also read that but at the time that the because you see this in when they're taking the, sorry kate didn't mean to oh, hijack fine. your please, segment no, please hop in <laughs> when they're lowering the lifeboats they're really really struggling right that like one end is going too fast so the mm-hmm. ship starts sinking and apparently the crew literally only practiced lowering lifeboats maybe once or twice before the titanic set so which is why they were so bad at it because again the ship was supposed to be unsinkable uh they could fill up to three to four compartments i believe and the ship still wouldn't sink but five compartments got filled with water yeah. and that was there she goes True or false, the closest ship to the Titanic when it was sinking was the Carpathia, which arrived and helped rescue survivors two hours after it sank. True, true. I don't know. I'm sucking at this game. <laughs> well, so the Carpathia is the ship that <laughs> so saved them. They make it very clear it to did, see the uh, title. But so, yeah. It so was true not or the false, oh. was it the closest ship to the, the Titanic? Shifty knows a lot of this already. I'm sorry, Mike. Um, it- okay, but see, like, you, your question, the Carpathia, was it the closest ship that was two hours later? So you could, you know, you could have been like, oh, no, it's false. It was three hours later. <laughs> like, these questions are so, like, intricate. Okay, sorry, sorry. I'll be better. Um, no, Kate, don't let him give you shit. You're doing a great job. <laughs> so that was... These are all gotcha questions, and you know what? They're not going to gotch me. <laughs> so the Carpathia was the closest ship that responded to the Titanic's distress signals and actually made it to the wreck and well what was the wreck and helped people i mean there weren't many survivors but they did help people like out the lifeboats and stuff um but there actually was another and they did not mention this at all in the movie which i thought was really interesting but there was another ship that was so close to the titanic that night that it saw its flares launch up when it was like in distress and sending flares out um and that was the ss californian it was a british ship but they like named it after california i don't really know and (laughs) There was this whole thing, like, there's this whole convoluted, like, he said, she said accounts of where, like, you know, the Californian, like, I guess, like, the the Titanic was signaling them, being like, help us, help us, but the guy in the Californian had, like, gone to bed, so he wasn't listening, but then he said before he had tried to warn the Titanic of, like, icebergs in the area, and the, the guy in the Titanic who was doing, like, the codes was like, shut up, I'm busy, because he was, like, talking to someone on Cape May. So there was this whole thing of, like, they were like, we tried to warn them there was icebergs, they didn't listen to us, we decided we were, we did our duty, we went to sleep, you know, we went to sleep. We didn't know those flares were actually them being in distress, that kind of thing. So it's this whole, like... We probably feel really it bad was about very, it now. 
Well, they're all dead, so I don't think so. <laughs> um, there were that was in the movie. It, they just deleted the scene. They they do. Oh, that was movie. a deleted scene. Oh, you know why though? It. it it didn't really need to be in there. It's yeah. like, okay, there was a ship nearby. Well, guess what? That ship never came. So, like, eh. Especially for, like, in the middle of this epic of the ship sinking to then, like, what, cut? I don't I don't know what the scene is. I just know that there's a scene about that ship that was in the area. But to then, like, cut to a ship that's doing fine and just in the water would be a little weird. See, I think it would be interesting to have that scene because it it adds to the suspense of, like, no one's coming to your help. Yeah. That's true, too. True or false, many lifeboats were launched while they were not at full capacity. True. true. Sorry, didn't mean to. It's got to be true. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Um, true or false, the band played Near My God to Thee as the boat sank. True. I feel like that's false. Like, I honestly, like, I, I love the moment in the movie. It's, like, really emotional when he says it's been a privilege playing with y'all and they keep playing. But I don't see that in reality happening. They played Camp Town Lady. <laughs> it was false. James, they actually played popular ragtime music during that day and age. And James Karen. Yeah, actually... Camp Town Lady. Oh, is that what that is? Oh. No. Oh. Well, I think Camp Town Lady, sing this song. Oh. Dude, that's kind of ragtime, rag isn't it? I um, James Cameron actually took that exact scene of them playing um, Near My God to Thee from the mm. film A Night to Remember. Which was released like oh. in the fifties, which is another Titanic movie that he liked so much that he like blatantly just took things from it and put it in his movie, which is the band playing um, "Near My God to Thee" as their last song before the ship sank. I'm gonna add that to my watch list. Yeah, true or false? Um, an elderly couple is seen lying in their bed together as water rushes into their room. Were they a real couple? True or false? Mike, you go first. I know the answer. <laughs> uh. It's probably true, so false. We, we, I think it's true. We, t- I said, were they? I said, were they a real couple? Couple, true or false? Yeah, and it's probably true, so, so wh- I'm going to say false, so I can wh- continue to be wrong. <laughs> oh, I mean, we talked about this earlier. James Cameron was so specific about you know basing all of these real. They're the, I believe, there are some rich couple that owned oil Macy's. They were the co. Yeah, it was a. Uh, it was Isidore Strauss and his wife, Ida, and Isidore was the co-owner of Macy's with his brother. Again. So, that's sad. He never got to go see another Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade. <laughs> yeah, but, okay, so, like, James Cameron has this, like, integrity to, like, all of the Titanic people, but then he turns one of them into, like, a well, suicide oh, but, murder oh, guy. Oh, yeah, he shouldn't have done and that. <laughs> so, like... Seems like he's kind of pick and choosing who he's remaining faithful to. Can I just say, like, they show these, again, they move me, right, to see that couple lying in bed together to drown together. But again, it's a good, yeah. is that I how you want to go out? It's going to be so painful. Like, if you know you're going out. Well, so the story, the story is. Okay, well, not everyone has a gun. What do you, you want them to do? A gun is not the only way to, I'm sorry. Yeah, you can just bash your head in with okay. something. Okay. Um, anyway. St- uh, oh, so much better. So the story. Okay, let's the, the story, But the story of that was they did, well, you know, it was women and children first. And Ida would not leave without her husband. And then eventually they did offer, since he was elderly, they were like, they said to, um. To Isidore, they were like, hey, you can get on. Like, you and your wife get... Okay, so, but no offense, it should be the elderly last. <sighs> oh, my God. If we're being Michael. real. You can cut that out, but, like, come on. They don't have much more to live for. With, with Well, in they tried respect. to... They basically were, like, going to let him on, and he was like, no, I morally cannot get on. Like, I... I shouldn't like I'm gonna stay on the ship and then Ida and then Ida was Good for like him. I'm gonna stay with you. You know what? I'm sorry. I uh I watched M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit the other night and it made old people really scary. So now I have a thing against old people. Oh my god, my I don't have any other questions for you guys, but I did wanna just tell one more story that I found really fascinating. So, you know, in Titanic one of the big subplots we just talked about was like Bill Paxton trying to find the heart of the ocean, you know, going to the wreck, diving into the wreck, that kind of thing. Um, there's a problem that's happened since the wreck was discovered in 1985, which is people diving down to the wreck and taking artifacts, taking part of the ships. Like people have literally like taken like walls of the ship and 
they're now in museums all over the world and a lot of relatives of survivors or survivors that were still alive were kind of like this is a lot of our family and friends final resting places and your grave and they 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 literally were like this is grave robbing what you're doing um so that's kind of like a big thing Mm. like there's some really famous museums like there's one in las vegas which i think is maybe one of the more famous ones besides the one in like liverpool which is um where there's like a wall like when they went down during one expedition they they brought back like a wall of the ship and it's like in the museum and that's a really big controversy for a lot of museums that they face is that they have artifacts that were taken from the wreck um there is a museum this is what i found out guys and i'm really excited to talk about this and i never knew there's a museum a five minute drive away from the house i grew up in (laughs) in Springfield, Massachusetts, which is called the Titanic Historical Society Museum. And it was founded by this guy in the 60s. Um, his name is Edward Kamuda. He died like eight years ago, but for decades he ran this museum and it's still running. And it all started because there was a survivor of the Titanic who lived in Springfield. And when he died, his landlady threw out all of his stuff into the dumpster and there was a bunch of, like, stuff that guy had from when he was on the Titanic. Like, meaningful stuff to him. And this guy basically dumpster-dived and was like, this should be portrayed in a museum. This should not be thrown out. And so he started a collection and survivors started donating, like, their belongings to him that they had on the ship. And he basically has the, like, the oldest collection of Titanic stuff. Like, he was the first one to really start collecting it. And... He's, like, one of the only museums that doesn't have things that were taken from the wreckage. Everything that was given to him is survivors, like, donated it themselves. And because we're only a few weeks away from this year's Oscars telecast, uh, obviously we should talk about you know how well Titanic performed at the Oscars and um, sort of the the history behind all of that. So like as Kate mentioned earlier, Titanic won eleven Oscars, which is tied for the record um, with Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King and Ben Hur. Yeah, is Ben Hur the other one? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, And it's also tied for the most nominations all time with 14. Um, But some other interesting Oscars facts is that that year's Oscars was actually the, to this day, the most watched Oscars Oh, and it still is? Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, still to this day. I mean, it's really been going down recently, so. (laughs) Yeah, I think Nielsen project predicted or not predicted but um said that it was like 55 million viewers but some estimates are even higher than that um you know probably largely in due part to the success in the popularity of the film also noteworthy is you know people were very upset that leo got snubbed it's crazy that he didn't get Which is, which again is particularly interesting because, you know, Kate Winslet was, as Mm -hmm. well as um, Gloria Stewart, who was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Um, But in total, like I said, it won 11 out of 14. Do you want me to name all 11? Should we guess? (laughs) I already know a lot of them. Okay, so it's picture, director, editing. Yep. um, Cinematography. Yep. Sound. Um, that's four. Yep. F- sound a- is five. I mean, okay, best actress, best supporting actress. Well, we're just guessing the, the winners. Oh, the wins. The winners. Oh, did we say actress winners. yet then? Actress won. No, Kate, Kate, Kate Winslet win. lost. She didn't win? Yeah. No. Oh. So you got five. Damn. Okay, tell us oh, the rest. Oh, oh, costume design. Visual costume effects. design. It won costume design. It won visual effects. So you're at seven. You got four more. Lighting? I don't know. Is that a category? <laughs> no. <laughs> Some of, what some lighting of these, should be a category? <laughs> some of these 
some of these are no longer wait, categories wait, wait, or have wait, been renamed. Wait. Oh, interesting. Best original song. Best original oh, song. Duh. Got original song. Come on, <laughs> the other lighting. the other one score. is kind of score. A screenplay, there screenplay, screenplay. So there's nine. Um Best original screenplay. Did it win screenplay? It did not get it did not get oh, nominated. It, it, listen, you guys should read that script. Yeah, I, know, I know, I know, I know. It's, it's fun, but mm-hmm. yeah, did not did not even get nominated for. If you have some, makeup, if you have some free time to disgust yourself, read how James Cameron wrote that sex scene. It is not fun. It it oh. got nominated for makeup, did not win makeup. So you still I have two know what left. We said anymore. I just so, tell us. I'll okay. So the other one is best sound effects editing. So okay. you had best sound, but there's also best sound effects editing. It, it won for that, and then best art direction, which I think now is renamed production design. Gotcha. Production okay. design. Yeah. yeah. We should so have those that. Damn. those were the eleven. Um, although I'm just gonna put it out there because you know me, but Return of the King, it it won eleven and was nominated for eleven. So it's the only perfect eleven. Oh across my god. No losses for the Return of the King. <laughs> Um, but it's interesting also, I I was reading an article, you know, looking at the Titanic Oscars sort of in retrospect and comparing and like imagining what would it be like today if Titanic was at the Oscars, right? Because obviously like back then there wasn't social media, people weren't as much into like the whole Oscars prediction thing and, and really putting a lot of weight behind the other award ceremonies you know but for instance uh you know two of the other bigger films that year were goodwill hunting um did well at the oscars you know matt damon and ben affleck winning screenplay uh, but then also la confidential which was considered to be like the um the critics darling of the time and, and it won um, Critics' Choice, New York Film Critics Award, National Board of Review, and so like the author of this article was sort of postulating that you know at that if it was today, people would be like predicting like this is the dark horse, uh, you know, it's winning all these awards, it's it's going to be the darling of of the Oscars, and then also like thinking about what if the Oscars at the time had preferential ballot, would, oh, would yeah. Titanic still win Best Picture? Um, and the author predicted no, but I mean, if I'm thinking about it, it's just hard to imagine a world of, of where a film wins 10 Oscars and doesn't win best picture. But yeah, I mean, I suppose that that could be the case. I I just wouldn't see it happening, but I I think it's more likely now with preferential ballot, but more likely, but still like if, if a film won 10 other Oscars, you have to assume it, it would probably win best picture. It would be like a huge upset to not win best picture. True, but it's fine. Remember when we were talking about our Oscar episode, the stat that like actually the most nominated movies are less likely to win Best Picture. Most nominated, but but in those cases, I feel like gotcha. actual wins, right? Because like Power of the Dog had a ton of nominations, but it also didn't really have many wins to mm-hmm. go with those nominations. Where I feel like if if you are that successful and you're winning these other categories, like you have a very popular film. Um, and then lastly, per- perhaps the, the most noteworthy thing from that Oscars was James Cameron's acceptance speech for director, <laughs> which do we have the, the audio yeah, of that? Better it. than me read it. Let's just listen to the end of it, which James Cameron himself, looking back, has described as uh, cringeworthy. Mom, Dad, there's no way that I can express to you what I'm feeling right now. My heart is full to bursting except to say, I'm the king of the world! The woo woo is tough. Was that him going, whoo, whoo, whoo? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's That's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And he said he he took a lot of heat for that line, and he's basically realized, like, not yeah. the best move to quote your own film. It's a little cringeworthy. I honestly don't think it. I think it's cringe the way he did it, but I yeah. don't think it's that cringe. Like, here, it's an iconic line. Yeah. People love that line. Why not? Br- and he's just trying to say the feeling Jack has in that movie where you got all the vibes when you watch my movie. Those are the vibes I'm feeling right now. 
I think it would have been more more you know understated if he if he said something like all I can say is right now I, I feel like yeah. the king of the world. Thank you. Like I feel like the king of the world, but I'm to just like exclaim yeah. it and and whoop like. Well, I don't even think it was bad, but then when he started going, hoo, 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 yeah. I was like, oh, but okay, wait, but also visually when you're watching it, like he throws his hands yeah. in the air and he's like, it's a little, it was a little much, but I, you know, Hey, he was the king of the world. I'm sure he was very excited. And you know what? He's still doing pretty well for himself. So I have one letterbox review that I want to read before we wrap things up, which is Is it mine? It's not yours. It's by this guy named Ian underscore MC. I do not know Ian (laughs) underscore MC, but somebody I follow on Letterbox liked this review. Um, it's a reference to again, I really love the cheeky references that Cameron puts in the moment in the in the movie where like Rose is going through the drawings and she's like, it's Picasso something, you know? Yeah. Um anyway, the letterbox review and obviously Cal does not like the Picassos. So the Letterboxd review reads, I'm here for any moral universe in which disliking modern art is a mark of villainy. (laughs) (laughs) It's Picasso something. I I also love the Freud line where Kate tells the guy that is obsessed with the size of the ship that he would be very interested in Freud's dealings with what men think about size. And he goes, Freud, who is he? Is he a passenger? (laughs) Yeah, but hey, you want a horny for history fact? Freud had not come up with that theory yet in 1912 so cameron took artistic liberties rose is just so smart joke. she already knows what freud oh, no. is she went, thinking she went in the into the future and was like i think i think freud will be obsessed with sex isn't that what he's known for i don't fucking know uh the freud the freudian anyway whatever uh let's wrap things up at that <laughs> point so smart, um thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of chaos on the set we had so much fun delving back to titanic isn't it funny how in the movie they always go are you ready to go back to titanic and then for avatar the way of water it's like are you ready to go back to pandora like james cameron think of one other thing anyway uh <laughs> actually wrapping things up mike why don't you tell people where folks can find you on the internet you can follow me on letterboxd at m ricardi what about your twitter no, not today. I'm not feeling it. What, Titanic okay. isn't good enough of a movie for you to share your Twitter? Wow. No, I, you know, I don't know. Just not today. <laughs> Go, Kate. You can find me on Twitter at Kate underscore Wyatt. I do have a letterbox. I do use it sometimes. And No, you, you don't. Can't, you literally don't. You can't, When's the last time you logged and you can't. Bullshit. You can't find me on there because Mike said if I shared it with you guys, he would handcuff me to the bottom of the Titanic and let the water rush in oh and drown God. me. And you can find me on Twitter at Micromorante. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Shruti Morante. And then you can follow the podcast on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Twitter. On all three, we are at Chaos on the Set. <laughs>